The Guardian. Order. Questions to the Prime Minister. Mr. Graham Stewart. Question one, sir. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'm sure the whole House will wish to join me in paying tribute to the servicemen who have fallen in the service of our country since we last met for Prime Minister's Question Time. Captain Tom Jennings from the Royal Marines, Squadron Leader Anthony Downing from the Royal Air Force, Private John King from 1st Battalion, the Yorkshire Regiment, and Rifleman Sachin Limbu from 1st Battalion, the Royal Gurkha Rifles, who died after a long period in hospital where he was much loved by the staff who looked after him in Birmingham. Their outstanding courage and selflessness will never be forgotten. They've given their lives serving our country and making our world more secure, and our thoughts should be with their families and their friends. This morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others, and in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such meetings later today. Mr Graham Stewart. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The whole House will wish to associate itself with the Prime Minister's tribute to the fallen. Can I ask the Prime Minister to join me in congratulating Cranswick Country Foods on their £15 million investment in creating a state-of-the-art facility in my constituency, uh, licensed for export to the US Department of Agriculture, exporting throughout the EU and employing now more than 1,200 people. Unfortunately, Mr Speaker, the Food Standards Agency is blocking exports from this excellent plant to the Far East. Can the Prime Minister assure me that job-destroying, unnecessary regulation will not be tolerated by his government? Well, I certainly join my honourable friend in congratulating the company in his constituency for their expansion and the welcome new jobs that they're bringing. It is vital that we rebalance our economy with greater emphasis on investment, on business investment and on exports. And in terms of exports to China, they went up by over 20% last year. I'll certainly do everything I can to help resolve the situation. And I'm very happy to ask a minister from DEFRA to meet my honourable friend to discuss this issue. Ed Miliband. Mr Speaker, can I join the Prime Minister in paying tribute to Captain Tom Jennings from the Royal Marines, Squadron Leader Anthony Downing from the Royal Air Force, Private John King from 1st Battalion, the Yorkshire Regiment, and Rifleman Sachin Limbu from 1st Battalion, the Royal Gurkha Rifles. All of them showed enormous courage and bravery. They're making sacrifices on our behalf and our deepest condolences go to their family and friends. Mr Speaker, the Chancellor said in the autumn statement that train fares would only rise by 1% above inflation. Can he therefore explain why rail companies this month, on some of the busiest commuter routes, have increased their fares by up to 11%? The power was given to them to do that by the last Labour government. (laughs) No, Mr Speaker. No, Mr. Speaker. No, Mr. Speaker. The Prime Minister is wrong. The last, Lab- the, last- the last Labour government stopped them doing that, and this Prime Minister, and this Prime Minister, when he came to office, reversed that policy that we introduced. That's why. That's why the companies are able to rig the fares. That's why someone travelling from Northampton to London will see a rise on the season ticket of over three hundred pounds. Will he now stand up to the train companies, get a better deal for commuters, and change his policy? 
I'm afraid I know the uh, Honourable Gentleman's had a difficult start to the year, but uh, <laughs> he's made it worse by getting it wrong. Labour allowed in 2009 fare increases of up to 11% because they introduced this idea of a flexibility of 5% over and above the RPI plus 1% that was the case. And what was the case in 2009 is the case today. But I think the key issue is this. There's only two places money for railways can come from. It can come from the taxpayer or it can come from the traveller. What really matters is are we going to put money into rail investment? And this government is putting that money in. We're building Crossrail. We're electrifying uh, the, West, the, the Great Western Main Line. We are electrifying the line between Manchester and Liverpool. We're putting £308 billion into Crossrail. And of course, as my right honourable friend announced yesterday, we're building HS2 as well. I'm afraid the Prime Minister is just wrong about the facts. The, the last Labour government saw that train companies were taking advantage of consumers, ripping them off by increasing fares more on the busiest routes, and we stopped it. We took away that power from them. He came to office and he brought the power back. He made the wrong decision. And as for his idea that this is all to help the passenger, the National Audit Office only last month warned that the problem was this money would probably result in increased train operating company profits. I ask him again, Mr Speaker, will he now go back and reverse his policy? We originally set out an RPI plus 3 policy for 3% policy for train fares. We found money in the autumn statement to reduce that to RPI plus 1%. But I have to say to him, if you want to see more money go into our railways, presumably he supports the electrification of the Great Western Main Line. He supports the electrification of the railway lines in the North West. He'll be touring the country, telling us he supports these things, but he's never prepared to take difficult decisions in order to support them. It is time. The answers from the Prime Minister will be heard. The Prime Minister. I think it is time for him to listen to his Defence Secretary who wrote very candidly over Christmas there is a difference between populism and popularity and that difference is called credibility. Time to have some I think. Mr Speaker, instead of his pre-prepared lines, he should get his facts right about his own policy. He's, get, he's, just, he's just wrong. He is wrong. He's, he, says, he says that he's continuing the policy of the last Labour government, and he's simply wrong on the facts. The last Labour government saw what the train companies were doing and said we were going to put an end to it. Now, the Prime Minister said at the weekend he wanted to take action against crony capitalism. He's failed at the first hurdle. And I asked him for the last time, Mr Speaker, will he now reverse the policy? If we're now on to the issue of, of, of higher people's pay, do we want to address that? Okay, let me go back. On the issue of the rail fares, on the issue of the rail fares, let me be absolutely clear. Labour introduced the policy of 5% flexibility. They changed it for one year only for an election year, but with no intention of making that permanent. And if he doesn't know that, he should. Now, if he, uh, I think. If he wants to get on to the issue of executive pay, I think he's entirely right to raise this issue. And unlike a government that did not...
I want to hear the answer, and however long it takes, order, order, and however long it takes, I will. The Prime Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I think he is right to raise the issue of executive pay, and unlike the last government that did nothing for 13 years, this government will act. Sir Roger Gale. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, I understand that uh, my right honourable friends recommend me for one new president, and I'm about to ask him for another. Um, the uh, Leader of the Opposition is talking drivel, I'm afraid. My constituents on the Kent coastline have been paying up to 10% increases under the last Labour government for the last four years until they lost office. Mr. Speaker, in congratulating this government in its courageous decision to pursue High Speed 2, could I ask my right honourable friend now to turn his attention to a piece of unfinished business left by the last government? High Speed 1 at present only runs, effectively, from St Pancras to Ashford. Could he see it driven through to Thanet so that we can enjoy the sorts of benefits that in the future will be enjoyed by Birmingham? Well, first of all, can I congratulate my right honourable friend on his well-deserved uh, honour for his service for many years for his constituents. He's entirely right about what happened under the last government, where regulated fares went up by over 18% and unregulated fares by over 23%. On the issue of High Speed 1, I'll certainly look at what he says, but I think High Speed 1 is an advertisement for what you can get by linking up our country with High Speed Rail, shortening commuter distances and helping change the economic geography of our country so that actually we can build a stronger economy. Luciana Berger. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Over 80,000 pensioners in Liverpool will lose up to £100 this winter following the government's cut to winter fuel allowance. Will the Prime Minister adopt Labour's policy ensuring energy companies automatically put their elderly customers onto the cheapest tariff for gas and electricity? Well, 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 first of all, I'm afraid, rather like the leader of her party, there seems to be an outbreak of collective amnesia on the Labour benches, because what we have done is actually keep the last government's policy on the winter fuel allowance. And we are meeting in full all the promises that she made and her party made about the winter fuel allowance. But we've gone one further than that because they introduced higher cold weather payments only for election year. We have made them permanent. Thank you very much, Mr Speaker. The Prime Minister will have experienced firsthand the quality of nursing at Trelisk. But what steps is the government taking to make sure that patients throughout the country are receiving the highest possible standards of nursing care from the NHS? Yeah. Uh, well, the Honourable Lady is entirely right. I well remember and indeed will never forget the time I spent at the Royal Cornwall Hospital and the happy days that I had there. And it was a great privilege to go back again uh, last year. I think we do have very high standards of nursing care in our country. The overwhelming majority of nurses do a fantastic job, but I don't think we're serving our constituents properly if we don't highlight those few cases where it goes wrong. And we've seen through the CQC reports there have been areas where it goes wrong. I think it's incumbent on government to try and remove the bureaucracy that can get in nurses' way, but I think it's also important for us to highlight best practice in the best hospitals in our country. And I visited an excellent hospital in Salford last week and to say let's copy that right across the country so we have high standards of care and we look after the nutritional and all the care needs of people who are vulnerable in our hospitals. Ed Miliband. Yeah. 
Mr Speaker, I want to ask the Prime Minister about Scotland. We, we, on, we on this side of the House... We on this side of the House believe the United Kingdom benefits the people of Scotland and the people of the rest of the United Kingdom in equal measure. We are stronger together and weaker apart. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that we must make the case for the Union, not simply against separatism, but the positive case about the shared benefits to us all of Scotland's part in the United Kingdom? The shared economic interests, the shared institutions like the NHS, our Defence Forces and the BBC, and above all, the shared values we hold together. Well, I'm happy to say this is an area where the right honourable gentleman and I are going to be in 100% agreement. I passionately believe in the future of our United Kingdom. I passionately believe we are stronger together rather than breaking apart. Frankly, I'm sad that we are even having this debate because I support the United Kingdom so strongly. But we have to respect the fact that Scotland voted for a separatist party at those Scottish parliamentary elections. So I think the first thing that's right to do is to make clear the legal position about a referendum and that is what my right honourable friend the Scottish Secretary has been doing and we have made the offer that we will devolve the power to hold that referendum so a referendum can be made in Scotland and held in Scotland and frankly I look forward to having the debate because I think that there have been too many in the SNP who are happy to talk about the process they're happy to talk about the process they don't want to talk about the substance I sometimes feel when I listen to them it's not a referendum they want it's a neverendum question let's have the debate and let's keep our country together. Yeah. Mr Speaker, can I agree with the Prime Minister and say that this is not about a fight, this is not a fight about process between the Westminster Government and the Scottish Government or between the British Prime Minister and the Scottish First Minister. I think the way to tackle that is to have immediate cross-party talks in Scotland about issues around the timing of the referendum, the nature of the single question referendum and the vital involvement of the Electoral Commission. But does the Prime Minister also agree with me that we need as soon as possible, as he said, to get beyond process and have the discussion about the substantive issues involved? Because this is a momentous decision which, frankly, our children and grandchildren will have to live with if we get it wrong. So we need a serious, thoughtful and inclusive debate on what the choices are and the benefits to Scotland of staying in the United Kingdom. On this issue, on this important issue, the people of our country deserve nothing less than that serious debate about the benefits of the United Kingdom. No, I, I think the right honourable gentleman is, is right on those three points. Firstly, on the process of negotiation, I think it's very important now, particularly that the SNP have come out and made more clear what it is they want to do. I'm very happy for the UK Government, the Westminster Parliament, to speak directly to the Scottish Government, the Scottish Parliament, and let's come to a conclusion about the best uh, time and the best way to hold this referendum. But it must be clear, it must be legal, it must be decisive, it must be fair. Those are the absolute keys. I absolutely agree with the right honourable gentleman. As soon as those process questions are settled, we need to get on to the substance. The only point I would make about the timing, as the honourable gentleman, who can't seem to keep quiet, is so keen to leave the United Kingdom, I don't quite understand why they want to put off putting the question for so long. Action will the Prime Minister take to tackle the appalling issue of forced marriage, both in the UK and globally? Well, I think the Honourable Lady is absolutely too right to raise this issue. We have taken some steps, uh, as the last government did, to try and crack down on the practice 
of, of forced marriages, which does tragically take place in too many communities and too many places in our country. We're looking specifically at the issue of whether we should take further legal powers and make it a criminal offence. I'm taking a personal interest in this issue, as I think we should be taking every available step to say it's simply unacceptable in 2012 in a civilised country like ours to have such a barbaric practice. Lillian Greenwood. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Nottinghamshire police serve areas of deep deprivation, face some of the highest crime levels in the country and rightly have ambitious crime reduction targets. But HMIC say that Nottinghamshire is one of five forces facing the most significant challenge in protecting their front lines and senior officers tell me that government cuts will impact frontline policing. Isn't it time to implement the police funding formula to give my local police the resources they need? I look carefully at what the Honourable Lady says, but what I would say is this, is all police forces are having to make uh, efficiencies, and I would praise Chief Constables for the steps that they've taken to deliver these efficiencies without affecting uh, frontline policing, and at the same time is still delivering a a reduction in in crime levels. In terms of the Nottinghamshire Police, there are still 47 officers working in back office jobs, there are still trained police officers working in HR, finance and corporate development, there's still further work to be done to civilianise those parts of the police force and make sure we get all of our police officers out on the front line. Andrew Stevenson. Uh, Thank you, Mr Speaker. Following the murder of my constituent, Jane Clough, by a former partner and a rapist, Jonathan Vaz, I presented a bail amendment bill to this House. In October, the Justice team agreed to change the law. Could the Prime Minister confirm to the House and to Jane's parents who are sat in the public gallery today when that will happen. Well, first of all, on behalf of the House, can I pay tribute to my honourable friend for the work he's done on this issue and indeed on this case, and our sympathies go out to the family who've suffered so appallingly. I accept, and the government accepts in principle, there should be a right of appeal against Crown Court decisions allowing bail. There is, of course, that right in in Magistrates' Court. So there is a strong case for changing the law, and we will be tabling an amendment in the Lords to the Legal Aid, Sentencing and Punishment of Offenders Bill, creating a right of appeal to High Court judge against the grant of bail by a Crown Court. I hope this will improve the law, will be more helpful to victims and give some satisfaction to the family that he's representing so well. Yeah. Mr Angus Robertson. Thank you Mr Speaker. The, the Scottish Government was elected with an overwhelming mandate uh, to deliver an independence referendum in the second half of the parliamentary term. It's a fact. In contrast, the Conservative Party has less members of Parliament than there are giant pandas in Edinburgh Zoo. Why is the Prime Minister trying to emulate Margaret Thatcher by dictating to Scotland? Quite the opposite. We want to give to Scotland the power to hold a legal referendum. That is the power that we are giving and that right across this House there is a uniform belief that that needs to happen. So discussions can now be entered into about the timing of that referendum, about the precise nature of that referendum, so we make sure it is fair, it is decisive, the people of Scotland deserve nothing less. Mr Greg Mulholland. Thank you Mr Speaker. Care of of our older people is one of the most pressing issues facing this country today. Will the Prime Minister join me in welcoming Age UK's Care in Crisis campaign launched on Monday? And will he commit that the white paper due in spring 
will present a real way forward on this vital issue. Well, well, can I pay tribute to my honourable friend for the work he's done on this issue and also to the Age Concern campaign. I think we've got a huge challenge to to rise to this uh, agenda and we want to do so through this white paper. And I think there are three elements. We've got to make sure we do something about the rising costs of domiciliary care. We've got to make sure that we improve the quality of the care that people receive. And of course, we've got to address the issue of people having to sell their homes and all their assets uh, to pay for, for care. So we are looking hard at all of these issues and working out a way forward that will be right for our care system and that the country can also afford. Mr Michael Meacher. Uh, since the Sunday Times showed that in the last two years the thousand richest persons in Britain got richer by £137 billion, <laughs> enough to pay off the entire deficit... And will he therefore tax them to fund the creation of a million jobs, which is a far better way of cutting the deficit than prolonged austerity? For a minute there, I thought he was talking about the Prime Minister he served under. But, <laughs> but uh, look, of course, I think it is absolutely essential that as we reduce the deficit, as we take difficult decisions, we are both fair and seen to be fair. And the fact is that what we've done so far has shown the top 10% of the country paying 10 times more than the bottom 10% of the country. And crucially, the top 10% in terms of earnings are not only paying more in cash terms, but are paying more as a percentage of their income. But as we go ahead with this agenda, I want to make sure that people behave responsibly, and the government does too. Therese Coffee. Thank, thank you, Mr Speaker. I'm sure both you and the Prime Minister will want to congratulate Mr Tony Watling, who has served as postmaster in Westall for over 60 years and, is still, and has still not retired. He's carrying on. However, residents in Wangford and Walberswick are being let down by no post office outreach provision. Can the Prime Minister encourage the post office to use this gener- their generous subsidy to ensure rural villages are served, not left stranded? Well, I certainly join my honourable friend in paying tribute to Mr Watling. To run your village store and post office for 60 years is a huge achievement, and it's people like that that keep our country going. In terms of the government, we have committed £1.3 billion to improving the network. As a condition of this funding, the post office must maintain at least 11,500 branches, but I think the point she makes about mobile post offices is a good one. This is a way you can serve many communities and make sure, particularly that elderly and vulnerable people are getting the services that they need. Mr David Simpson. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The Deputy Prime Minister is reported to have said in the last few days that in due course the United Kingdom will sign up to the same EU treaty that the Prime Minister rejected only a short time ago. Was the Deputy Prime Minister correct? The, The position is very straightforward. We did not... We did not sign. We did not sign the treaty because we were not. We, we did not get the safeguards that we received, uh, and so that situation is not going to change. What coalition partners want to put into their election manifestos for the next election is entirely up to them. Andrew Jones. Does the Prime Minister agree with me that people should pay their taxes, keep their businesses onshore, and not live as tax exiles in Switzerland, leaving alders, pensioners high and dry? What is the Prime Minister doing to stamp out such predatory business practices? 
Well, my honourable friend does make an interesting point, which is for all the lectures about predatory capitalism and saying we've got to tax different businesses in different ways, the one person that the Leader of the Opposition has chose to advise him on this issue based all of his companies in the British Virgin Islands. Prime Minister, the funding for the United Kingdom Resource Centre for Women in Science, Engineering and Technology has been cut. Given there are a million women unemployed and women make up only 12.3% of people in science, engineering and technology, could the Prime Minister look again at funding for UKRC and thereby restoring Britain as a leading role uh, for science in this country that nurtured the talents of Dorothy Hodgkin and Rosalind Franklin? Well, I'll certainly look at the case the Honourable Lady sets out as she knows that despite having to make difficult decisions across a range of public spending areas, we did not cut the science budget and indeed in the autumn statement the Chancellor provided a series of enhancements for specific science-based projects. So I'll look at the, the specific one that she mentions and get back to her. Mike Crockhart. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Today, unfortunately, is the 10th anniversary of the opening of Guantanamo Bay, uh, a despicable institution which still holds to this day one UK national. Will the Prime Minister commit to do all he can to see that 2012 is the last year that this institution operates? Uh, my right hon. Friend, the Foreign Secretary, is working very hard with the United States to try and secure uh, the, the, this issue and to bring uh, this chapter to a close. And as he will know, we've also taken steps as a government, as a country, to try and achieve some closure about what happened uh, in the past by a settlement uh, with those people who are in Guantanamo Bay and also setting up a proper inquiry to make sure uh, that the British government was not complicit uh, in any way in terms of uh, torture uh, to those people who are in Guantanamo Bay or indeed elsewhere. Climont. Thank you, Mr Speaker. A moment ago, the Prime Minister was clear that it's crucial that government economic policy is fair and seen to be fair. Can the Prime Minister therefore confirm that the 50% tax rate on incomes above £150,000 will remain in place for the duration of this Parliament? Well, we take pretty much the same point of view as the Shadow Chancellor, former Shadow Chancellor, when he introduced it, who said this should be a temporary measure. And I think we should also take a judgment on how much money this tax is actually raising. The purpose of the tax system is to raise money for the funds we need to put into our public services. And I think it's very important we look at how it works in practice. Heather Wheeler. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, would the Prime Minister um, congratulate the Secretary of Transport and the good workers of Bombardier for securing the £188 million contract um, on the 28th of December and the announcement on the Toronto Stock Exchange that was so important to the workers in Derbyshire? Yeah. Well, I congratulate everyone at Bombardier for winning that contract. And as I said from this dispatch box before, I want the government to be a good customer of British firms and to work with its supply chain and not to make the mistakes, frankly, that the last government made that drew up the contract uh, for, for uh, the, the railway service, which Bombardier didn't win. Mr Speaker, the, the Prime Minister will probably be aware that the, uh, the Chief Executive of a, of a stock exchange uh, top 100 company is paid 35 times as much as a hospital consultant who, who keeps health and saves lives. If he's going to act tough on high pay, and if he really does get it, can he give a date, a year from now, within the lifetime of this parliament, when we'll see that obscene 35 times multiple come tumbling down? Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, first of all, on the issue of pay ratios, I do think we should make progress on the issue of pay ratios, and I think we can start with the government actually setting out its own pay ratios as an act of leadership. I do think this government has shown some leadership, not least by cutting ministers' pay and freezing them, and by having total transparency across government for pay. On the issue of the specific case he raises, the point I'd make is this. This year, we've seen a 49% increase in pay, and yet an only 4% increase in the FTSE. I'm not against people running great companies being paid lots of money if they're growing them, if they're expanding them, if they're succeeding. But what we shouldn't have is rewards for failure. But frankly, the last government had 13 years to deal with this and did sweet nothing. Mr Nicholas Bowles. Mr Speaker, does the Prime Minister think that it can ever be fair for a single family to receive £100,000 a year in housing benefit alone? I think my honourable friend makes an important point. The top people's pay issue and this issue are in many ways linked. We need to get rid of a something for nothing culture in this country because frankly we inherited an out of control benefit system where you did get families on many, many tens of thousands of housing benefit. We had an out of control immigration system where it paid to cheat and we also had an out of control banking system where reward wasn't linked to success. Unlike the last government, we're going to deal with all of those things. Tony Cunningham. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, Prime Minister, the Cumbrian health economy is in crisis, a real crisis. How does he propose to deal with it? Well, the first and most important thing is that we are committed to year-on-year increases in NHS spending. That is not a position that I'm afraid is backed by his own party. Alongside the extra money, we do also need to make sure there's reform so we give clinicians a leading role in the health service. And also, frankly, we have to do more on the public health and health promotion agenda because that is the best way to reduce demands on our NHS. But I think there is one extra thing we need to try and achieve, and that is looking at the links between alcohol and crime and alcohol and hospital admissions, which is putting massive pressure on our NHS, and it's an issue I want this government to deal with. Sir Bob Russell. (laughs) Ethnic cleansing cleansing and apartheid are evil. Sadly, successive governments have supported a country where these vile actions are inflicted on the indigenous people. We welcomed the Arab Spring, but the long Arab winter continues for Palestinians. Prime Minister, on Tuesday last week, the Israeli government said it was to proceed with the forced evictions of 30,000 Bedouin Arabs from their historic lands. Is it not time we treated Israel as we did apartheid South Africa? What I would say to my honourable friend is, is, first of all, we should respect the fact that Israel is a democracy, it is a country that has a right to exist, it is a country that has frequently been threatened by its neighbours, but we are also a country that should stand up for clear human rights and for clear rights and wrongs in international relations. And on the issue of settlements, this government has been very clear that it doesn't agree with the uh, practice by the Israeli government. I raised this issue myself with the Israeli Prime Minister in a in a new uh, New Year telephone call, and this government will continue to act and vote on the issue of illegal settlements. Yeah, yeah. Liz Kendall. Bethany Mecklen. 
A 14-year-old girl in my constituency has leukaemia and desperately needs a bone marrow transplant. Despite an incredible campaign by her family to get more people to join the blood stem cell register, Bethany still doesn't have a match and is having to look overseas. What plans does the government have to improve public awareness about this vital issue and increase the number of potential bone marrow donors here in the UK? Well, well first of all, I think the Honourable Lady is absolutely right to speak up for Bethany specifically, but also for all bone marrow cancer sufferers. I think it's not widely understood enough about the need to get more people onto the register because of the importance of trying to get a match. And the government is going to be spending, I believe, about £4 million this year to help promote that and to help help make that happen, but I think all of us in our own constituencies, in our own ways, can promote the idea and encourage people to do what she says. Ian Brazier. Mr Speaker, could I draw my right honourable friend's attention to the excellent paper published by Ray's Publica this morning, which seeks to build on the government's initiatives in building up cadet forces on the one hand and getting more uh, former military personnel into schools as teachers on the other hand, and proposes that we set up in some of our most deprived communities military academies and free schools administered by the Reserve Forces and Cadets Associations. First of all, let me pay tribute to my honourable friend who does so much to speak up for our reserve forces and also for our cadet forces, which are incredibly valuable assets in our country. And it's worth noting that this year the cadet forces are going to be doing a huge amount to try and save and preserve our war memorials uh, from the appalling uh, crime that they've been suffering in terms of metal theft. I'll look very carefully at the Ray's Publica report that he suggests. I think we should be empowering our cadet forces to expand, perhaps to go into parts of the country where they haven't always been present in the and I think the link that he makes between cadet forces and schools is one that is a very, very good idea and one that we should promote uh, uh, and support. Dame Joan Ruddock. Thank you, Mr Speaker. My constituent, Miss S, is 32 years of age, has lived alone for eight years and was forced onto housing benefit because of redundancy. That benefit has just been cut by nearly 50% to the shared accommodation rate. Which does the Prime Minister think is most likely? That her landlord will reduce the rent by 50% or my constituent will be made homeless? Well, first of all, can I congratulate the Honourable Lady for her uh, preferment in the New Year's Honours List. I think, although I profoundly disagree with many of the things she's tried to do over her political career, uh, mostly disarm Britain one-sidedly, uh, I, I, I praise her for her persistent efforts. Um, and she quite rightly... No one can accuse the... Anyway, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Let me answer the question very directly. All parties are committed, as I understand it, to reform housing benefit. That was Labour's commitment before the last election. The housing benefit bill is completely out of control. Labour's own welfare spokesman said last week that at £20 billion it was unacceptable and it had to change. And what we've seen so far, as housing benefit has been reformed and reduced, is actually we have seen rent levels come down. So we've stopped ripping off the taxpayer. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.